0: Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We're looking at just verses 12 and 13. Verse chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. We're going to spend tonight all on these two verses. Uh, Last week we read this section and touched on it a little bit. Let me read it to you again these two verses. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Uh, As you remember, uh, last week we touched on some of the end of our study and and, and on, on these couple of verses. We brought out that these two verses are tied in the context to what Paul said about Jesus in the previous verses and how he said we're to have the same mindset that was Jesus's and is also now ours in Christ because we're in Christ. And so we looked at how. Paul said we are to have the exact same mindset, which not only should be ours, is ours in Jesus Christ. And remember, we looked at two main things last week, how Jesus knew of His exalted position, yet He did not take advantage of that exalted position, but He chose to humble Himself, and He took on the role of a servant, of a slave, and walked in obedience to God. And we kind of touched on, as we were heading into these verses here, how that is how we work out our salvation, while we too understand our exalted position because of Jesus Christ, because of the fact that He has been the one who's taken away our sins, because of faith in what He accomplished on the cross, to the fact that He lived a sinless life, He was crucified for the sins of the world, He rose again by His own power, and for those of us who have trusted in Him as Savior, the Bible says that God declares us righteous. He he marks us as righteous. He imputes His righteousness to us. And one of the best ways I can help you grasp this, we've touched on it before, is it says in the book of 2 Corinthians that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Did Jesus ever sin? No. But God put sin on him when he was on the cross. And he became sin because God put sin on him. And then God punished him for the sins of mankind. And then after he died, he rose again from by his own power. And the Bible says, because he became sin, why? So that we could become the righteousness of God. Are we righteous in and of ourselves? No, we don't have anything to offer to make ourselves righteous before God. Our good works don't make us righteous before God. But in the same way that sin was put on Jesus, his righteousness is now put on us. And so we need to understand our exalted position and the fact that because of Jesus, we are new creation. We're forgiven of our sins. We're born again, all these wonderful terms. Yet at the same time, We now could easily take advantage of this wonderful position that we have and say, Hey, I'm free to do whatever I want to do, live however I want, because I'm forgiven of my sins. But we're not to take advantage of our exalted position, but we're to what? In the same way Jesus did, we're going to choose to humble ourselves and take on the role of a servant and walk in obedience to what God says and the purposes and the plan that He has for us. So tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this working out your salvation with greater detail. I'm going to pull out at least four different things from this passage that the scriptures talk about, which will help us understand what it really means to work out your salvation. Again, you've already been given it. We're now to exercise this wonderful gift that we've been given in this salvation. So the first thing I want you to see is this. Working out our salvation involves obedience. If you're taking notes and you're going to be writing things down, there's four main headings I'm going to give you. The first one is this. Working out our salvation involves obedience. Go to Romans chapter 5 and look at verses 18 and 19. Again, we're going to follow that same pattern of looking at Jesus and then looking at the scriptures that talk about how we're to live, because remember, the same mind that was in Jesus needs to be in us as well. Romans chapter 5, look at verses 18 and 19. Paul says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, that's Adam, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now, again, how does the scripture describe Jesus' act uh, on the cross? It was an act of obedience. Did he have the ability to say no to the Father and not go to the cross? What is some evidence that we have? You're right, the the answer is yes. What is some evidence we looked at last time we were together that shows he could have not gone? When he said in the garden, Lord, I don't want this to happen, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours. What's another example we gave? In the garden, when he was being arrested, what did he tell Peter when Peter pulled out the sword? He said, don't I have the ability to call 10,000 angels? Couldn't I just talk to my Father and have these angels come and rescue me? Again, but then he says, but how would Scripture be fulfilled? And he, even though he could have done something about it, he chose to walk in obedience to the Father. He was obedient. All right, so working out your salvation is going to involve obedience. Go back to Philippians chapter 2 and look at verse 12 and look at what Paul says here. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always what? Obeyed. Obeyed. So now, not only as in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And as we're going to see in a little bit, it's because it's God who works in us both to will and to work according for his good purpose, as a good pleasure. Obedience should not be seen as a chore but actually should be seen as evidence of the reality of Jesus Christ within us. People wanna, you're wrestling with the issue of whether or not you're really saved? You're wrestling with the issue of whether or not Jesus is really in you? I got a great way for you to find out. Obey God. If you're not saved, you can't. And only by His power are we able to walk in obedience to Him. Now again, I'm not talking perfection here. God knows that we're going to ha- be those who sometimes obey and sometimes not, but are you even able to obey? The Bible says that one of the evidences of the reality of Christ within us is our obedience. Is, well, how does the Bible describe it? In Galatians chapter 5, it says the acts of the flesh. Acts of the flesh are obvious. It says that those are sinful things such as adultery and fornication and fashion and envy and strife. But the evidence or fruit of the Spirit is what? Love and joy peace, patience, gentleness, and so on. Listen, that's evidence of the spirit within us and the spirit of God living his life through us. Now for too long, I used to try to treat, I remember years ago when I was a youth pastor at the Atlantic, I did a whole series uh, on the fruit of the spirit and I preached on patience and I preached on kindness and I preached on all these and my messages pretty much were now to go be more patient and go be more kind and little did I realize at the time, <laughs> I was sending everybody out to frustration you can't be more patient, you can't be more kind, but Jesus will if you learn to let him have control and let his, live his life through you as you walk in obedience to what he said by faith in Jesus Christ. All right? Go to first Peter chapter one. First <coughs> Peter chapter one. And starting in verse 13. look closely at what the root of what peter says here in this passage in first peter chapter 1 verse 13 and we're going to read through verse 25 he says therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of jesus christ as obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance but as he who called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience, here we see that word again, to the truth, for a sincere sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Both times that Peter says, be obedient, or live holy, he says, because what? Because you are holy, because of Christ in you in the fact that you're holy. Uh, and again, we see in verse 22, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for sincere and brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Why? Since you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable. The root of how we actually live out this salvation that we've been given, this wonderful gift, isn't going to come from you. You couldn't do it in the first place. But, obedience now means, I understand my exalted position, I understand I'm not doing these good things in order to get points with God and hopefully be considered righteous, I am righteous. But, now I want to walk in obedience to Him and have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus and I want to live out what God's purpose and plan is for me, and I'm going to get into that in a lot more detail in just a little bit. But I want you to understand that God has a purpose and a plan for each of your lives. And for too long, the church has tried to make it the exact same thing for everybody. And I hope to set you free tonight to find what it is that he has for you to be and how he wants you to manifest his life through you. And when you find that, that is a huge part of your working out your salvation. And you're going to get to that in a little bit. But for right now, just understand that working out your salvation is going to involve obedience. Now, if it involves obedience, that means we have to know what he is asking of us, correct? How are you going to know what he's asking of you? You've got to know his word. You've got to know what he's already said that is a blanket things for everyone. And at the same time, there are specifics of how we're to lay that all out and how it's to be lived out in each of our lives. And that's where we're going to need to learn to recognize the voice of the Lord and the recognition of the leadership of the Spirit. I've said this before, and I want you to hear me correctly, because I don't want you to hear me wrong, because what I'm about to say sounds heretical, but it's not. But if you just try to live by the Bible, it'll mess you up. If you don't know how to let the Spirit of God show you how to apply the truths of the Bible in those certain situations, you're gonna try to do the right thing because you say well in the Bible it says this and they're gonna go try to do it but I can show you and you've heard me tell you before that in one instance Peter, uh, sorry not Peter, Paul pulled out his Roman citizen card and said hey, are you allowed to beat a Roman citizen? Yet in another instance when they're about to beat him in a Roman colony, he didn't pull out the Roman citizen card and he took the beating. But which is it? Well. You need to understand what the Spirit of God is saying to do and how he's leading you to live out your life. So you can't just say, well, I just read the Bible and I just do what it says. There's an element here where in some instances, Jesus, when he talked to Pharisees, he said, let them go. They're blind leaders of the blind. Who cares? Yet he had a loving conversation with John, uh, sorry, in John chapter three with Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee. When he said, for God so loved the world, he said it to a Pharisee. Nicodemus, one on one in the dark. So how do you treat Pharisees? Do you just uh, say, who cares, let them go, or do you treat them with love? Again, the Spirit of God is going to give you wisdom as to know in that situation what you're to do. We can't turn the Christian life into a set of rules. You can't turn it into a formula. There's no policy manual. There are principles, there are truths, but the Spirit of God has to then show us how to live them out. In one instance, Paul uh, is beaten and left for dead and dragged outside the city. He just stood there and took it. Another one, he gets in a basket and they snuck him out of the city. Well, which is it? You understand? We wanna say, the right way to do it always is. You can't. That's why some people try to tell you, this is the only way you're to witness. The only way you're to share your faith is X. No. The right way is to always abide. The right way is always to abide. And that's why if we're gonna walk in obedience, you need to not only know what his word says, which are the blanket things for us all, You have to begin to learn how to recognize when the Spirit of God is saying in this instance, here's how I want you to apply the truth, okay? The second thing I want you to see is this. Working out your salvation will involve work. Working out your salvation will involve work. Go to Luke chapter four. Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Listen to what it says. It says, Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard, sorry, I'm in John, so why does that not make sense? (laughs) That's not the right place. Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. There we go. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. Again, he's just been baptized. He's under full control of the Holy Spirit at this time. And uh, where does the Spirit lead him? Into the wilderness. To be what? Tempted Tempted and tested. All right. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him and said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test? And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him, look closely, until an opportune time." Jesus had to struggle against temptation and the devil in order to obey the Father. I want you to hear this. You need to understand this. If Jesus had to struggle against temptation and the devil in order to walk in obedience to the Father, guess what's in store for you? The same. You're going to struggle against temptation and the devil. Does that mean that you're not born again? No. Does that mean you're not a child of God? No. Remember, look at what Satan's doing here. He comes. By the way, does Satan know that Jesus is the Son of God? Yeah. Of course he knows who he is. The demons even knew who he was. Remember when Jesus walked up on that guy and the man had the legion of demons, the demons all said, we know who you are, Jesus, Son of the Most High God. Does Satan know who he is? Of Course he is. But what does he do? He comes at him and he makes him, tries to make him question his exalted position. If you're the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. Satan's gonna come at you and does Satan try to make you question your salvation sometimes? Doesn't he come and say, well maybe you're really not saved if you really are born again? Go ahead, Duke. He, it looks like he tried to offer Jesus all that he was going to get anyway, exactly. without going to the cross. You got it. That's a really good point. He's offering everything that's already his, without the obedience, without the suffering. And the devil left him at this time until when? A more opportune time. And buddy, he came Adam and Adam and Adam and Adam throughout his time on the earth. Oh, by the way, the Bible says the same thing happens to us. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. But he goes on. We're to take on whose armor? God's armor. We can't fight him in our own. And a lot of times we lose sight of this. You've got to understand, you're in a spiritual battle. You're, you're going to be, it's going to come at you in lots of different ways, and Satan's not going to come give you a direct attack. He's going to come at you in ways that are subtle yet he's still kind of come at you and that's why Jesus when Peter said to him I'm not gonna let you go to the cross what did he say he said get behind me Satan Satan." he knew where it was really coming from that this might have been Peter and his good intentions but it was really coming from the enemy because it was derailing him from what his real purpose was and you have to live with a daily understanding of the fact that in order to work out your salvation You have to understand that you're in a battle every day that you get up. By the way, you know the Bible says His mercies are new every morning? Mm -hmm. You know why His mercies are new every morning? Because your flesh gets up every single morning too. And God knows that Satan is going to come at you every single day. Too many Christians today don't understand this element of spiritual warfare and the fact that there is a battle going on. And they're just oblivious to it and they're prey. Oh, Satan can't touch their salvation. They're protected, signed, sealed, and delivered if they're truly born again. But boy, can he maul us. Remember, he's looking for someone to devour. And boy, a lot of Christians today fall prey to a lot of things because they don't know the truth of their exalted position. And they, st- they spend their time in condemnation and guilt and shame when there should never be any of that for those of us who are in Christ. Yet at the same time, we also don't know the power we have over sin and temptation by being able, because of Christ within us, to say, no. How do we know this? We have to know what the Word of God says, and we need to, well, we'll get to that in just a second. We need to first understand that, that we have this power available to us and that working out our salvation is going to be a struggle. It's going to be work. You just can't cruise in your Christian life to work out your salvation. Now, again... Knowing what you know about how God's word works, back in Philippians chapter 2, when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, does that sound like a command to you? Yeah. It's what it is. It's a command. therefore, because of what I've just shared with you about Jesus and Him knowing His exalted position and Him humbling Himself and taking on the role of a servant and humbling Himself in obedience even to death on the cross. And one day, every knee's gonna bow and every tongue's gonna confess to the glory of the Father that Jesus is Lord. And everybody's gonna acknowledge Him and He's gonna be rewarded for eternity. And in the same way, that reward is waiting for us as well. With that in mind, you must work out your salvation, you must do some work. Now, we don't like to hear that kind of a thing. But the good news is, as we'll get to verse 13 in a little bit, it's not us having to actually do it. Who works in us? Christ. Christ. It's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. That's where the third thing comes out now. Look at the third thing. The first thing is this, working out your salvation is going to involve obedience. The second thing is this, working out your salvation is going to involve work. The third thing I want you to see is this. Working out your salvation means knowing where your power for victory comes from. Working out your salvation means knowing where your power for victory comes from. By the way, Jesus knew this. He turned to the Father in prayer, and he trusted in God's word. We already saw a little bit of it there in Luke chapter 4, when he's under the attack of the enemy and the temptations coming. How did Jesus defeat the enemy's tactics? By the word. By the word. It was, he could have just claimed his godhood at that moment and said, hey, don't you know who you're talking to? I created you. But he didn't. He humbled himself and he let the word of God be what was his defense and his attack back at Satan. Go to Luke chapter 22 and you'll see it some more. Luke chapter 22. 22 verses 39 through 46. Yes, 39 through 46. And he, meaning Jesus, came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Look closely what Jesus says here a couple of times, and look at what he does. He tells them twice, Pray so that you don't what? Enter into temptation or fall to temptation. Why is he telling them that they need to pray so that they don't enter into temptation? Because he knew it was a spiritual warfare. He he knew it was a spiritual warfare. Go ahead, Jim. I was just saying, he knew where he he had to go for the power. That's exactly (laughs) it. Now, again, did Jesus have this power within him? Yes. But he didn't exercise it at that time. Why? Because he's demonstrating to us and living out full obedience to the Father, the type of life that he wants us now to live in obedience to the Father, and he sought, well, how often do we see Jesus going off to pray? Sometimes early in the morning, sometimes late and all throughout the night. It, by the way, don't turn it into some rig, rig, uh, rigid set of rules. For those people that try to say, well, Jesus got up early in the morning and went off to pray, that means I have to get up every morning and spend time in prayer. If that's what you want to do, great, but don't turn it into a set of rules for everybody else. I came to realize one day as I was reading in Mark chapter 1 that Jesus got up early in the morning and went off to pray, and the disciples wake up and they don't know where He is. And they go looking for Him. They don't even know where to look. And it hit me one day. Wait a minute, if Jesus got up every single morning and went off early to go pray, they would have known where He was and how long He'd be gone. and They would have waited. But the fact that they went, hey, He's not here, and they went looking for Him shows Jesus must not have got up early in the morning to go pray every day. We try to add things to the scriptures that the scriptures don't say. Did Jesus pray? Yes. Did he pray a lot? Yes. The Bible talks to about us praying without ceasing and living in a constant state of prayer. Folks, I don't know if you notice know this or not, but when I teach and I preach God's word, I'm continually communicating with the Father. I'm listening to him as I talk to you and as I preach. I'm sensing when he told me to bring another scripture to my mind or say that's enough for there and move on and i'm learning in my my life to how to walk with a continual sense of his presence because apart from him i can do nothing and that's what the whole abiding thing is in john chapter 15 and and, and staying in that close connection too many of us have turned the sense of getting god's power into some supernatural superstition you know you know the bible says that this kind only comes out by fasting in prayer and wrote, many people do you know think, well, I need to go spend some time in fasting and prayer. But then one day as I was reading that passage where Jesus talked about it, the Bible says that the disciples were trying to cast this demon out of this young boy and they weren't able to. And Jesus saw a crowd coming and he quickly said to the, boy, Should the demon within the boy, come out, and he did. And the disciples come to him privately later and they say, how come we couldn't cast it out? I mean, we've been able to cast out demons. How come we couldn't cast this one out? And Jesus said, this kind only comes out by fasting and prayer. But it hit me one day. Jesus didn't pray or fast. He just said, come out. Why? Jesus lived a life of continual saying no to the flesh and communion with the Father. And if you learn to walk in that continual closeness with the Father, there will be more power in your life because you are learning how to rely on Him. But we turn it into, oh, I got a situation. I need to go spend some time in prayer and fasting in hopes that now because I've actually paid God some time, or giving him some attention he'll now do something in my favor folks you want to understand where your power for working out your salvation comes from it's not in those moments i need god right now you need him every hour you need him every minute and you need to learn to walk in that understanding and jesus knew where his power came from and he lived a life of prayer he lived a life of saying no to the flesh so that he had it stay under control That's where this passage in Philippians chapter two says to us in verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to what? To will, the desire, and to work for his good pleasure. A big part of working out our salvation is understanding where this power for victory comes from, where this power to live this life of obedience and winning the the, the work, if you will, in the battle against the the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, where that comes from, it's a continual relationship with the Father. What else did Jesus say to them? He said, the spirit is willing, but what? The flesh is weak. weak. (laughs) Folks, if you don't know how to tap into the spiritual side of who you are, you'll never have victory over your flesh. Is it possible for a person to be a Christian and to lose their battles against the flesh all the time? Yes. Yes. Actually, I think when we get to heaven, there'll be many of us who realize how much we missed out on because we never did take advantage of all that was already given to us. We didn't learn to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, take serious this wonderful gift that we've been given it needs to be the focus of everything you are. Your salvation, your relationship with Christ needs to be the center of everything you do. Who you marry, what kind of a job you take, uh, everything, every aspect of your life needs to be centered around your relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ and what He's doing in your life at that moment and what His purposes are. And you, when you learn to live that way, everything will then start to fall into place because God will then be allowed to orchestrate His perfect plan for each of our lives and we're gonna get to that in a little bit here tonight, alright? But for right now, let's take a look at what the Scripture says to us. We need to pray as well. We need to seek our Father and study His Word in order to work out what, Christ is, what is now ours through Christ Jesus. Go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, and look at just one verse, verse 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Who's in the world, by the way? Satan. Satan. Who's the ruler of this world for present time? Satan. He's been given authority for a time, but he's still on a leash. Ultimately, God's still in control. But look what the Scripture says. Greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. Can you defeat Satan? No. No, you can't. But the one who's in you can and has. I was going to say, I don't have to. He's already been defeated. He has been defeated. Yet at the same time, he wins some battles in our lives, doesn't he? And we we have to learn to to walk in that continual understanding of the presence of God. Uh, Folks, I can't be the husband I'm supposed to be apart from Jesus in me and him living his life through me. I can't be the father I'm supposed to be unless the Christ in me is allowed to live his life. Because my flesh is just as strong as yours. My flesh is just as sinful and fallen as everybody else's. I don't want anybody to think for a second that those of us who have been given this position where we're to stand in front of people and communicate the word of God and and God shows us things from his word and we say, thus says the Lord. There's this weird mindset that the things you struggle with, we don't. And that's why whenever you see pastors fall into sin, everybody goes, oh, a man of the cloth. I don't even know what the man of the cloth means. (laughs) I, I, I'll tell you, I always tell people when, when I go to hotels and they say, hey, would you like a washcloth? I'm like, no, I'm not a man of the cloth. Thank you. <laughs> I, I just use a bar of soap. I don't even know what that term means, but you got this weird mindset that this guy up here is holier than you. And, and, and I don't struggle against sin. Folks, let me just tell you, I wouldn't be surprised if Satan doesn't come at me more. Because you know what? When you're bowling and you want to take them all down, you go for the head pin. Satan knows full well that he can cause a lot of damage if he can get me to fall. Trust me, I Don't think that I don't struggle with the stuff that you guys struggle with. I do. Apart from Christ. Apart from Christ. But it's a daily battle. I might have a good day today. Doesn't mean tomorrow I won't lose if I don't know how to stay in that communion with the Father. I have to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. Yes, ma'am. And I can even say that, yes, but at the same time, there is still a sense of loss. There is a sense of loss. The Bible talks about uh, those who build on that foundation with wood, hay, and stubble. He himself will be saved, but he'll suffer loss. I agree. Will God take it and use it for his glory? Yes, but not to the point where I can say, hey, my failures are just as good as my successes. We can't go to that extreme either. You know? What did Jesus say about the servant who didn't use what he had been given? Take it from him and give it to the one who did. There's an element, folks, you got to understand. The Bible does teach for Christians who walk in disobedience, continual disobedience, and don't work out their salvation with fear and trembling, that the Bible says not only do they suffer a loss for eternity, they're still going to go to heaven, but they suffer loss. Some of them go home early. There is a sin unto death. Ananias and Sapphira were Christians. They were believers. And God said, you're doing more damage to the kingdom than good right now. And for his purposes, he took them home. So we got to understand that this is a very important thing. This is a very important thing. Go to Luke chapter 11. I want to take a little bit of time tonight to just kind of exegete this passage for you. In Luke chapter 11, look at verses 1 through 13. Again, we need to understand our need to continually be spending time with the Father in prayer. Luke chapter 11, look at verses 1 through 13, says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now before we go any further, I want to kind of bring out one aspect of this. One day when I was reading this, I I, I kind of read it in a different way. I sensed that Jesus' disciples were afraid that Jesus wasn't going to teach them. I think they were afraid he was going to say no. They'd seen him pray a lot. And by the way, notice how Jesus, he doesn't do teaching like we do it. He didn't get up that morning and say, okay guys, we're in a three year pro, uh, program of discipleship and today's lesson's on prayer. <laughs> what did he do? He lived the life of prayer. To the point that the disciples finally come to him and they say, we see you talking to the Father all the time in prayer and we're definitely seeing you come out of these times and there's something going on here. Could you teach us to pray? Well, listen closely to how they word it. John taught his disciples. You know when your kids were little and they wanted to ask you something, but they were afraid you were going to say no? Didn't they always throw that little clause in? Well, Susie's parents are letting her. You remember remember what I'm talking about? Hey, I'm afraid you're going to say no, but Susie's parents already said yes. Let's read this passage tonight and read it as if Jesus' disciples come and say, we're afraid you're going to say no. But John taught his disciples, and all of a sudden you'll see this whole passage in its context just come alive. All right, so they come and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, if you know the model for prayer we call the the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, this looks like the Reader's Digest version of it, doesn't it? It's almost like he just quickly reminds them of what he would already taught them in the model for prayer, in the template for prayer. Oh, and by the way, in that template for prayer, doesn't he teach us to say, Father who art in heaven, right? That's who we're talking to, right? Later on in that prayer, he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Hang on for a second. If Jesus is teaching us a template for prayer, Why is he telling us to ask the Father not to lead us into temptation? Because doesn't the scripture say in James chapter 1, verse 13, that when anyone's tempted, he can't say God's tempting me because God doesn't tempt anyone. Then why does Jesus teach us to pray when we have this model or template for prayer? Father, don't lead me into temptation because he controls whether or not the Satan is allowed to tempt you or not. He, as you said earlier tonight, dogs can't even bark at you without his permission child of God. Oh, and if you say yes, I'm going to ask that you don't let him tempt me, but if you say yes, I need you to deliver me from the evil one. This whole attitude of prayer and looking to him for our power for victory was all there in the model prayer. But in this instance, when they come and say, teach us to pray, John taught his disciples, Jesus quickly reminds them of what he had already said but he quickly gets to a story. And he says in verse uh, 5 here, look what it says. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are out, or, sorry, are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If you look at the context, it's almost like Jesus is saying, look, you guys came and you thought you had to twist my arm to get me to teach you to talk to the Father? You don't understand the heart of the Father. Asking it will be given, seeking you will find, knocking the door will be opened. Hey, if your kid asks you for bread, are you going to give him a snake? Why do you think you have to tiptoe into the Father's presence? Why do you think you have to say John taught his disciples, Susie's parents are letting her, when you ask me to teach you to talk to the Father? You don't understand the heart of the Father. And let me take this story that he tells. He says, how many of you, if a friend comes to him at midnight and says, hey, I got people that came to visit, I don't have anything to feed them, Um, would you lend me three loaves of bread? Jesus says, the guy who's inside the house says, hey, um, it's already midnight. My kids are already in bed with me, and the door's already locked. It's gonna just upset the whole house for me to get up and take care of this. But he doesn't do it because he's his friend. But he does it because of the man's impudence. Now that's, I think the ESV has come the closest to what I think would be a really good word here. This is one of those hard words to translate. Some of your translations say because of his persistence. Others of your translations say because of his boldness. The King James says his importunity. We don't even know what that means. Let me give you another word. Thayer's Concordance uses this word, shamelessness. And that's what persistence in the original shamelessness. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. You know when you take your kids to the grocery store and they're little, and they see the candy aisle, and they ask shamelessly? You know what I'm talking about? They just are not afraid to ask. I could come to you, Niggy, and I could ask for money, but I could do it with shame. You know, nigga, I'm kind of embarrassed, I'm kind of ashamed, but could you lend me a couple of bucks? I'm asking, but I'm not asking with a boldness, I'm asking with a shame. But what if I knew you were someone that not only was able, you'd be glad to do it. I could ask without shame, because I know who you are. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is what the word is that Jesus is using here. He said, the guy gets up and gives him what he asked, not because he's his friend. But he did it because this man saw me as someone he could ask without shame. Let me illustrate it to you in a way that might help us understand with our everyday vernacular. Let's say your car's broke down at two in the morning. You're broke down on the side of the road. You don't have AAA. You have a cell phone, but you your spouse is home with sick kids and you can't call your spouse to come help you. Who are you gonna call? See, your brain is gonna run through a Rolodex of your friends, but you're not gonna call just any friend, right? Because some friends you call and they'll say, I'll do it, but you're gonna owe me. Or someone will do it, but they'll grumble the whole time. You never take care of this vehicle anyway. Your brain is gonna go through the Rolodex of your friends And you're going to call the one that you know is not only able to come help you, will be glad to do it. You know what I'm saying? That's the person you can call at two in the morning without shame. I've got some guys like that that I can just call, and I know I I can call without shame. Why? Because they're not only able, they're willing. Jesus said, this man came This man came, and it took nerve to come at midnight knowing the door would be locked, knowing he'd be in bed with his kids, but he saw me as someone he could have. He could have gone to a lot of people, but he came to me because he saw me as willing and able. He didn't do it because he was his friend. He did it because of this man's shamelessness. When you talk to the Father, how many of you still start off by saying, I know you probably want to, I don't deserve this, but because I've done this and I've done You still are praying with shame. Where would I go boldly? Jesus, would you teach us to pray, but we're afraid you're not going to. Jesus says, you don't know the heart of who it is that I want to tell you, teach you how to talk to him. You don't know the heart of him. He says over oh, and over again how much he delights in us and that he yes. brings us into a broad place. Yes. You know, a large place, and it's like, come to me, and I want to do it because I delight in you. Yes. We can just. That's (laughs) you. Well, and that's the whole point. That's what I want you to hear. This thing about prayer. For years, we've turned it into, yeah, I need to pray more. You don't get it. You, when you're still looking at yourself, and I need to pray more, you've missed it. It's not you need to pray more. It's your father is ready and willing, not only able. He's desirous to give you victory. He's desirous to make your marriage better. He's desirous to help you in these areas that you struggle. When you begin to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, it's God who takes over. He pretty much says, great, get out of the way. And he just does it. He's just waiting. By the way, is he not waiting to save everyone is he not he's already paid for the sin of the world all you need to do is believe it and receive it and the moment that a person turns to the lord the scripture says the veil is removed did you catch that the moment the person turns to the lord boom the veil is removed and god says i've been waiting i've been waiting folks don't start your prayers with oh god I know you I'm not. Yes, you are. You're his child. I need you. I need you. I need you. And when you learn to talk to a father who is not only able but willing, and you talk to him continually <laughs> because he likes you. He doesn't just love you, he likes you. That's prayer. That's prayer. Go ahead. They start off by asking. You give him bread I'm not gonna give a mistake. What does he give at the end, verse 13? How much more will the heavenly we'll Father give the Holy Spirit? Yes, so, which is everything we need. So how to pray, here's the Spirit. Exactly, Use the Spirit exactly. Oh, and by the way, in that armor of God, if you remember back in our study of Ephesians, we're to pray in the Spirit at all occasions. The Spirit actually takes over in our praying. We don't even know what to pray for, Romans 8 says, but the Spirit helps us. We don't even know what to pray for. All the way through, folks, if you can hear anything tonight, take the focus off of you and put it on the Lord. Just do what His Word says and trust that it'll happen. Do what His Word says and believe that, isn't that the message of the Gospel? Believe and trust that God will save you. That's the message of the Christian life. Do what it says and believe that it will stop saying I'm doing the best I can He don't want the best you can he's ready to give you his best his best and we miss out on so much of that that's why Jesus says pray pray talk to the Father rely on the Father rest in the Father the fourth well let me just say this to you as well and then we'll get to the fourth part of working out your salvation when you ask don't doubt what does it say in James chapter 1? If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives, listen closely, generously to all without finding fault. He gives generously. But when you ask, don't doubt. The one who doubts is like a man who's tossed by the wind and the waves. That man's an unstable man. He will not receive what he's asking for. God's wanting us to not only ask, but to believe that he's not only able, but he's willing, and believe that he will. Ask and don't doubt Oh, 1 Corinthians 10 13 says it this way, listen closely. He says, uh, No temptation has seized you but such as common to man. And God will not allow you to be tempted with more than you're able to bear by his grace. And with the temptation, will provide a way to escape. You in a temptation? You don't have to say, Oh God, where are you? He's already said yes or no whether or not the temptation would even come. And he's allowed it for his purposes. And at the same time, he's already set the limits of what the temptation will be, and on top of that, he's already providing, the Bible says he is, a way for you to have victory. He's all there with you the whole time. Folks, if we really understood who we are and what's, what is available to us, if we really understood the truth of this, this working out our salvation with fear and trembling would actually be a fun thing, not a chore. Because you know why I can tell you that my working out my salvation with fear and trembling is going to be a fun thing and not a chore? Because uh, verse 13 says, for it's God who works in Jim Johnson, both to will, that's the desire, and to act according to his good pleasure. And that's the fourth thing I want to bring out for tonight. Working out your salvation means knowing that the Father has a specific plan for your life, and he will put the desire for that plan in you. Give you what you need for it and cause it to work out for his good pleasure. I know that's a long thing and hard to write down. I'm going to read it to you again. If you want to write it faster, grab me afterwards. We can do it. The fourth thing is this. Working out your salvation means that knowing that the father has a specific plan for each of you for your life. And he will put the desire for that plan that he has in you. He'll give you what you need to do it. And he'll cause it to work out. All for his good pleasure. Did you catch that? Well, let me put it to you this way. Knowing, working out my salvation, the fourth part from this passage is this. It's knowing that God has a plan for Jim Johnson's life and he has a plan for your life. He's going to put that desire for what that plan that he has for you in you. He's not only going to put the desire in you, he's going to give you what you need to accomplish that purpose. He's going to equip you with what you need for it. And he will cause it to work out for his good purposes. Now, the 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 plan, the power, and the results. Very good. And the desire. The plan, the desire, the power, and the results. Listen, Jesus knew his father had a plan for his life, did he not? If you watch Jesus, he only did what his father told him to do. Were there a lot of things Jesus could have done? Yes. But he didn't do everything. Oh, he had people saying, Jesus, tell my brother to share his inheritance with me. And Jesus says, not my job his brothers made fun of him and they say a public figure like you in John chapter 7 they said you should go to the feast he said for you any time is right now is not the time for me yet he went when it was time later on Jesus had lots of people saying Lord if you'd been here my brother wouldn't have died but he did only what his father told him to do. Folks, let me just tell you, and I'm going to be preaching on this for two Sundays at First Merritt Island, if you're able to come, this coming Sunday and also on the 22nd at First Baptist Merritt Island at 1030 service. I'm going to be preaching two messages on this whole topic here of what it really means to allow Jesus to show you what his specific plan is for your life and how to let him do it through you. And that's where real rest comes. You've got to understand that Jesus knew what his father's plan was for his life, and he only did what his father told him to do. That's why when a Gentile woman cried out, he said, I wasn't sent to the Gentiles. I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. It's not right for the children's bread to go to the dogs. Remember that? Because he was sent to the Jews first. He knew the Jews were going to reject him, and then he was going to draw the Gentiles. And then, after the time of the Gentiles, he's going to finish what he started with the nation of Israel. But when this woman said, I'll be a dog then if I have to be in order to get what, you're the only one that has what I need. Even the dogs get to lick the crumbs from my father's table. Jesus knew that his father was at work there in that Gentile woman's life and he met her request. But he's only looking for where his father was telling him to work and nowhere else. (coughs) And the timing of his father's work. Yes, exactly. Now at the same time, I'm not going to turn there because of time. If you looked at John 18, you'd see that in John chapter 12. John 18 verses 10 and 11 Uh, Where he's in the garden and they're coming to arrest him and Peter tries to defend Jesus and he says, no, let me live the life God has for me to live. Pretty much paraphrasing, but that's what he says in John chapter 12 when he says, uh, uh, he says, uh, now the hour has come. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very hour that I came. Jesus lived his life in obedience to the father at all times and only did what his father was having him do. Now we've got a lot of voices as well. Many of us grew up in the church where the the mindset of the church was, you're all members of the church and you all should pull an equal weight. You ever heard those kind of things? You should have all been at prayer meeting. You should have all been at church work day. We should all pull an equal weight. Let me set you free tonight. That was never God's intention. He gave some to be apostles, not everybody. He gave some to be prophets, not everybody. He gave some to be evangelists, not everybody. He gave some to be, teachers and pastors and teachers, not everybody. He also gave, in the parable of talents, some five talents, another two, and another only one, each according to their ability. Every one of us, he has a specific plan for each of our lives, and you should not let the nominating committee tell you what that is, but you should let the Lord show you what it is that he has for you. Go to First Corinthians chapter 12. First <clears throat> Corinthians chapter 12. Let me show you something here real quick. First Corinthians 12, starting in verse 4. He so said, now there are varieties, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service. In other words, different ways these gifts are to be used. Now, if you know q- closely, if you looked at Peter and, and, and Paul, you'll notice that Paul and Peter both had very similar gift mixes. They were preacher, teachers, apostles. and their, their call of God, the call of God on their life was very similar. But what did God say to Paul? I've sent you to who? The Gentiles. Peter was sent to the Jews. And they started to really get more joy in their walk of ministry with the Lord when they realized, I've been sent to the Gentiles, I've been sent to the Jews, and stopped trying to do too much. The people in our churches today that have the call of God on their life for evangelism, don't they have a tendency to say that everybody else should be sharing their faith as much as me? Those of you that have a heart for discipleship and prayer ministry, you have a tendency to say, well, everybody else ought to be praying as much as me. No. You let people live the life God has for them. This the scripture says, there's varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service or ways that they're manifested, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, or some translations actually say results. And I think that's a great translation of this but it's God, the same God, who empowers them all and everyone, and to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between Spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, all these are empowered powered by the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually, listen, as he wills. I'm not going to preach my message for Sunday tonight. But let me just tell you, <clears throat> when Jesus says, come to me who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, the very next thing he says is, take my yoke. Rest does not come when you get a break. Rest comes when you find the thing that Jesus has created for you to do and you live that life. That's when you will find his rest. There's a joy in just doing what it is he's called you to do and nothing else. There's a freedom. The Christian life is actually fun. I'm tired of the Christian church just bragging about how busy we are, but how burnt out and how tired we are. When we do what he calls us to do, it's not a burden. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. It's not work. It's fun. That's why when you hear me talk about this crazy schedule of travel this summer, I can't wait. Yeah. I, I'm like a kid at Christmas. I can't wait. All Some all of you say, I couldn't do that. What's that? All those restaurants. Well, yeah, there's restaurants. There's <laughs> golf. I mean, it's just, I'm, it's awesome. <laughs> Keep reading, though. Keep reading here in 1 Corinthians 12. For just as the body, that is one of the best big perks of what I do, by the way, thank you, <laughs> for just, and I can even tell you which of the couple ones we're going to hit on this trip, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, for just as the body is one and has many parts, the word member I don't like, it. just better to say parts, and all the parts of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the parts in the body, each one of them, as He chose. If all were a single part, where would be the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Oh, and then he goes on and says, you can't say, I don't need the other parts as well. But you understand what he's saying here. God has designed our whole body, if you will, with many different parts. <clears throat> Listen again to Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. A large part of you working out your salvation is finding what it is God's called you to be and to do, and just do it. That's a big part of it. Yes, it involves obedience, but you got to know what he's saying. Yes, it's going to involve work. There's gonna be, you're in a spiritual battle, but it also means that you understand where your power for victory comes from. And that life of continual communication with the Father in prayer and reading his word. <coughs> and it's only doing what Jesus has for you to do oh I've done ministry for years and I almost killed myself trying to do what everybody wanted me to do I wasn't as good as Jesus was at saying not my job because I had a lot of people telling me what they think I should be done and I should have been there at this person and this person needed me and that should have been there and I shouldn't have said that to that person and how dare you take care of that person but not take care of this person and all those fishbowl expectations we put on the past. My family will tell you it's changed our life at our home, it's changed my whole life when I came to realize God called me to a specific role in preaching and teaching his word and I have found rest and I have found joy in just being what he's called me to be. And there are others who will take care of those things. Will there be people that are upset with me? Sure, they're mad at Jesus. But Jesus understood that he was only going to do what his father had him do. And let me tell you, there is a joy for you if you'll stop worrying what everybody else thinks and find out what it is that you're to do and go do it. Rest does not come from not doing. You've got to find that yoke. Find it and go do it. Chris. Rest is because it's his spirit that does it. If you're not doing the thing that he's called to do, his spirit's not his spirit. <coughs> He won't be empowering you. Yes, and and, and <laughs> That's the second part of this two-part series I'm going to be doing at 1st and Island. The first is rest comes when we find out what it is he has for us to do. The second part will be on the 22nd. Rest only comes when we let him do it through us, and he will only do through us what he has for us to do and nothing else. It is your Exactly. I, I would get, use Chris as a quick example. Uh, some of you may or may not know but he actually is the one who takes care of the sound and the recording and the website and all the, he takes care. Last Tuesday, after Bible study, he was at our house two to three hours fixing our computer so that the ministry's computer would work. He was there till, I don't know, we couldn't get you out of the house. When was it? <coughs> but many the time that I will say to Chris as I send him another email saying, hey, could you do this on the website? Could you fix that? And I say, I thank you. I hope you don't think I'm a burden. And he always says, Jim this is what God's called me to do and it's fun and it's easy and it's literally I'll send him an email and he'll say done it's easy for him if what you're doing is not easy and not fun you're most likely doing the wrong thing oh if I don't do it it won't oh you got a small view of God if you think if you don't do it it won't get done find a big part of working out your salvation is finding out what it is that he has for you to do oh by the way David and Joseph had to go through a shaping period in their process of finding that thing that God had for them to do. I don't know if you know that or not. <clears throat> did David immediately become king of Israel? No, he had to go through a shaping period. Joseph, did he immediately have the family all about? No, no, he had to go through a shaping period. Abraham, did he immediately go into becoming the father of men? No, he had to go through a shaping period. So don't panic. Don't panic and say, I don't know what it is. He'll show you. But the question is, is where do you find his joy? Where do you find his peace? Where do you find what's fun for you in ministry? Go do it, go do it. Father, again, thank you for this chance to open your word. Thank you for the fact that you show us that working out our salvation isn't really as scary as it sounded at first, it's actually kind of neat. It's just taking serious this wonderful gift we've been given and by faith acting on what you've said. Walking in obedience to your word and your commands of your spirit, it's also, Uh, knowing that there's a struggle and being alert to that fact at all times it's knowing where our power comes from and finding the specific thing you have for us or things finding that easy yoke and that light burden because you're working in us both to give us the desire and to work out for your purposes and your pleasure what it is you want to do father I thank you for the fact that you've given us this great salvation. And If there's anybody here tonight that has yet to receive it by faith, put their full faith in Jesus, the Messiah, may your spirit open their eyes to their need and may they not leave here without talking to me or somebody about trusting Jesus as their savior. And beginning this journey of knowing you and allowing you to work out your purposes in their life as well. We pray this in Jesus name, amen.